The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. One night, one goal. Stop suicide. Register today for the overnight and join thousands in Washington, D.C. on June 3rd as we walk 16 miles from dusk till dawn to stop suicide. Start your journey today at theovernight.org. sure if you're live or not. So what I'm going to say is uh, good evening. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and tonight I'm joined by Colin Watt who uh, took the nostalgia moments looking back to Gordon Strachan's time in charge mm. of Celtic and um, a former ex-Celt which caught a lot of people out with the Who Am I? Um, and then we took a look forward to this game tomorrow which is coming round very thick and fast and um, I tell you what in the last 24 hours I think I may have changed my predicted team, so you just know it's just one of these things when you look at it and you have a bit more time to think about it, you get the changes made, don't you? You do. Uh, I do want to talk about tomorrow's predicted lineup and everything else that's happened this week in the world of Celtic, but it's a Friday night and I can see some of you are already cracking open a few beers to enjoy a bit of Celtic chat over the last five years and particularly over the last two years, Colin, whilst we've been streaming live. There's a community built up of uh, Axon viewers and you start to um, recognise names and people coming in on a regular basis. So, uh, Come to us with any suggestions or questions and we will discuss them, discussion points as well. Uh, Obviously, I mean, I've read a lot and heard a lot since last night. And what I want to do, because we don't talk about um, anybody else except Celtic or what's in Celtic's best interest, I want to look at it from a Celtic angle tonight as well, Colin. So we will be talking about what can Celtic do in Europe. Um, It's a massive, massive discussion point because... We continually go back to the, the comment made by Ian Bankier mm-hmm. at the AGM where he was asked about European aspirations and it's something we're still critical of the club about calling on a Celtic state of mind. And uh, it, you know he, he came out with this, this uh, belief that Celtic cannot compete in Europe. And that was his words. And, you know, there was a lot of people who were at the AGM and uh, everyone that discussed that afterwards on A Celtic State of Mind who were disappointed with that kind of response. But I've seen a different attitude this season from the likes of Ange Postacoglu, who's talked about European ambition. He was asked during the week about Rangers running the Europa League and he reminded everybody that we are one of the prestigious clubs who has won the European Cup. I think that the ambition has been lost over a period of time. And when you hear your own chairman coming out with things like we can't compete in Europe, um, it it basically spells danger for me because I think the fans have got an ambition. I think the gaffers got an ambition. And I think without labouring the fact about any other football club, what happened last night is it was shown that a team playing domestic football in Scotland can get to a European final. So where are Celtic in the great scheme of things? Where should our ambition lie, Colin? I think in terms of where we are, we're actually quite a bit behind us all because when it comes round to it, we have had some very good opportunities in the last couple of years just to get that sort of monkey off our backs that we've got where we haven't won a knockout tie since 
way back in 2000 and was it 2003 2004 nearly 17 18 years I think that was the day that David Marshall had to go and goal at the new camp and you're sitting going for a generation of Celtic fans they haven't seen Celtic win a knockout tie in Europe and that's quite a scary prospect considering you think back to the days of the, the, the 60s, 70s, 80s, even sometimes in the 90s when you get through the odd round here and there in the, the early stages of the Cup. Yeah. That, that has to change and it's a bit of a mental aspect to it as well because although Bodo Glimt showed that they were a very good opposition, mm. is, you were looking at that game going, this is probably the best opportunity we've had to get through. We just had to set up properly, mm-hmm. we had to defend properly and we had to... Um, sort of execute our game plan and I do think that for all the success that we've had over the last couple of years it's something that we've never been able to trans, uh, transfer as that great domestic form into the European stage now when you go back and you think there used to be the thing about Celtic playing poorly away from home in Europe especially in the group stages and it's not that the record now is brilliant but you do feel a bit more confident when you go away from home in Europe that Celtic might pick up a point here or there. We've got the three points in Anderlecht the last time we were in the, the Champions League group stage. There is to the point where you're thinking we can actually compete at that level and we can give teams a game. Even if you go back to our Europa League group this year, you look at the away games, we weren't out-dominated in any of those games. And then you go back to the, the, the trip that you made a couple of years ago, Um I'm surprised you know about this because I've never mentioned it much. <laughs> you, n- you never do. Um, but by that point, obviously, we'd already qualified out of the group after those fantastic nights in Rome, for say. Um, and we kind of threw that opportunity away to get another couple of points just to rest some players. Mm-hmm. That is something Celtic's never been able to do in the past. We are <laughs> developing as a team in that aspect. But then when it hits the last 16, the last 32... This is where we have to start making progress. If you look at them across the city, they have been making progress in that instance. They've been making the last 32, the last 16, the last eight, and now this year they've made a final. Mm. That's building on the momentum of previous years. And Celtic have to do that, but at the minute they don't have anything to build off of. It's almost as though, you know, with with Ange coming in... I'm not going to say it's quite a clean slate. You've got to look at the successes, but the successes, like you said, in the last few years have been fewer and further between. And mm-hmm. I, when I grew up, when I grew up, <laughs> someday I might grow up, but grow when, up. when I was growing up, um, I was being told the stories of the great European nights and the great successes. Mm-hmm. And then you start studying these incredible teams, Colin, 60s and 70s in particular, whereby, and I use this all the time, whereby, you know, from... 64 to 76 in the 12 seasons we made the European quarterfinals the quarterfinals of a European tournament nine times out of 12 Mm -hmm. incredible and within that obviously two finals 1-1 and during that period it's not an anomaly that Celtic won in 67 it's just it's incredible that we didn't win more than one you then move into the kind of later 70s and those runs are becoming fewer and further between into the 1980s. The uh, European Cup quarter-final defeat against Real Madrid, mm-hmm. uh, 3-2 on aggregate, having gone 2-0 up under Bill McNeil. Then it starts getting thinner and thinner as it goes through the 1980s. Um, there was an opportunity under Davy Hay, rapid Vienna fiasco. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously that affected the following season against Atletico Madrid behind closed doors. Then by the time I start going to the games, we're nowhere near being a European club. I started going in 1987, and like you quite rightly said there, you were basically flirting with the first couple of rounds of Europe. Mm. You know, Borussia Dortmund, knocked out. Um, I remember a fantastic comeback over the two legs against Cologne, um, you know, where we get beat 2-0 away from home and win 3-0 at, at home. You, we, we think back to Partizan Belgrade. Effectively, we lost the game, though. So, mm. you know, the four goals by Jackie, the 5-4 win... 6-6 six, six on aggregate, but we get bounced out. We're nowhere near Europe. And that, that only changed, that only changed when Martin O'Neill comes in, right? And when we get to the final in 2003, which is almost 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you start believing that for the first time in your life, we might have a, a, a force in Europe. We might have a team that might do something in European football. <laughs> See the thing on that, Paul, though, 
it wasn't as if it was just one season we came out the blue and went, we're going this run in Europe. You had the games in the Champions League the seasons before, the nights against Juventus, the nights against Bayern Munich, the nights against these big teams in Europe, which previously we'd never been able to compete. I mean, we won all three group games in our first season in the Champions League group stage. We were, at that point, the only team to ever be knocked out on nine points. There were certain teams going through on five, six, seven points, mm. and we couldn't get through on nine. And that used to be the thing. Celtic Park was a fortress. We made it a fortress. The teams were scared to come here. Now, to be fair to them, that's exactly what Rangers have done in Europe this season as well. Mm-hmm. Every time they've turned a tie around, it's been because of what they've done at home. And Celtic have to work on that. They have to make Celtic Park this place where teams are scared to come to. And if we can do that and build on the successes that we've had away from home on the last couple of years, then we can become a European team. Well, this this is the thing, right? So 20 years ago, well, 19 years ago, we get to a European final. And at that point, I remember thinking that there will be other, like you say, there will be other opportunities as a fan and as a club to actually go to a European final. We've never come anywhere near it since then. Yes, we've had runs. Yes, we've had last 16s in the Champions League. Sometimes, um, against all the odds, you would suggest, you know, with with teams that often were unfashionable, mm-hmm. i.e. Gordon Strachan's teams. But I think that time has been very kind to Gordon Strachan because at the time he wasn't as popular. But when we look back with hindsight and we look at the record and it's incredible. And then again, when we're dominating the club, uh, the, the domestic game, Colin, in the last, let's say, 10 years minus last season, it's at that point that I think there's been an issue. So you, you go through the the, uh, the Gordon Strachan era, you go into you know the, the memorable 2012 victory against Barcelona, and then what? You know, so there's a, there's a managerial change. The nine in a row happens, and it's at that stage that I think we take our eye off the European ball completely. And it's now got to a point where we're in, we've been in this rut where we're buying players in in the pre-season, and there's very little time to bed them into your squad for the qualifiers. So this is going. This is where I'm going to be very interested to see how we actually fare this season, Colin, because a couple of things. Firstly, we don't have the qualifiers. Mm-hmm. seen an incredible start there. I think it was Anthony Joseph who was going on about this is the longest break we've had probably in about 19 years um, in the pre-season where the players will have seven or eight weeks to recover. Incredible. Because it's unheard of. So you've got mm-hmm. guys uh, with careers at Celtic like James Forrest who's never known such a break. And I think that's relevant to guys like James Forrest because I think he needs that break. I think Callum McGregor needs a break as well. But also... Uh, in terms of preparing your squad, Colin, for a qualifier, you can't be doing that in the pre-season. You've got to be doing it in the January beforehand and even... For, and I think that where we are as a squad, yeah, we will be talking about the kind of facelift that's requiring in uh, transfer window three under Ange Postacoglu. But I think we're in a much better position now than we have been in previous seasons. Definitely. I mean, you, you think back to where we've signed, we've spent over 10 million quid on uh, Julien and Bolingoli. And we're, we're buying that level of player to do something in Europe. I know people might laugh at that, thinking you honestly think Bolingoli is going to do something in Europe. We spent 10 million quid calling on these two guys, and they're sitting on the bench, and we play mm-hmm. Callum McGregor at left back. I just think the preparation has been diabolical uh, over that period. And sometimes I feel sorry for the managers going into these qualifiers without having the squad in place. I think for me, when you take a look at it, a lot of it comes down to the recruitment, as you mentioned. But when you look at that team that was built around um, the Gordon Strachan team, now obviously it was a massive rebuild that he had to do there because you had the, the Seville team and the high wages of the Seville team. Yeah. And we all know that Gordon was basically given the, the task to go in there, dismantle it, put his own team together on a much smaller budget than what Martin O'Neill had. But even in that sort of time frame, he was still able to bring in guys that were recognised internationals or guys that had European experience. So guys like Giri Yarishek from Chelsea, Jan Venegur of Hesselink, um, they were able to come in and make a difference into that team. You look at some of the big nights in Europe mm-hmm. and those were the guys that stood out, even guys like Maciej Zarafsky. They were able to come in and make a big difference. So when I look back at it, you're thinking, who was in charge of the recruitment at that point? Who was your head scout? 
or you had John Park in the background who worked alongside Gordon to identify these guys and bring them in. They then get towards when was the last sort of big wins in Europe? We are talking about like maybe beating Barcelona. John Park was there as well alongside Neil Lennon. And then it was, I think, at his departure that Celtic started looking at this market and going, we've made a couple of successes in the sort of obscure market. Let's just focus on it for a couple of years. And they brought in guys like Marion Sved. They brought in guys like Patrick Clamalla and Bayo and, and players like that as compote that obviously some of them had some international experience, maybe even at under-21 level, but not to the extent of guys like Yuri Yarishik, who had 60-odd caps for his country at the time. Even Thomas Gravison, who wasn't the best signing for us, but he did offer that experience, and you can bring that into addressing them. Mm. It's only I, now that we're changing that and we're going back to that. You're looking at guys like Joseph Juranovic, who's coming in, yep. part of the Croatian team. Um, Starfelt, with the caps that he's got for Sweden. Joe Hart, over 70-odd caps for England. Um, the, the Japanese players that have been involved in the national team. Even big... Um, Jack and Marcus. Yes, it's that experience of playing on the continent and playing European football that if you mix it with the right young talent coming through in Scotland very similar to what Gordon Strachan did it is a recipe for success in Europe you've got the guys that understand the passion of playing for Celtic and you've got the guys with the European experience that combination is exactly what we should be looking for well it is different you're absolutely right in what you say because we've got a, a manager who is approaching it completely differently. We'll talk about Mark Lowell or Lowell or Lowell or whatever you want to pronounce his name as. Um, but he's coming and that's part of the plan. And I think obviously there was a furore over uh, Lowell coming in because of his surname and because of his links to the City Group. But if Ange Postacoglu is comfortable with the recruitment under Mark Lowell, then it's part of the, the master plan he has. I think in the past, right, and it's been pretty clear that we've signed players who actually don't fit, and I don't just mean the style, but this is where data um, analysis comes in, though, Colin, whereby you've got a certain style of play and a certain formation and, and, a, and a shape of a team, and you can actually use the, the data um, to, and it's not an exact science, to try and figure out whether or not a specific player is going to be suited to that. And I think back in the day, the players that you've mentioned, and, and every single one of them was a failure at Celtic, not one of them fitted uh, the way yeah. that the manager played. And I think that that's where there was a breakdown because a lot of the recruitment was happening um, without the manager's say-so. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, we all know that. And, and uh, Rogers came out, a number of times and gave us that information. You know, Sved was a classic example yeah. when he that he gives the interview and there's there's no way he played a part in bringing that winger to the club. No, when you look at it, even the, the managers that haven't been the most successful at Celtic, um, guys like Tony Mowbray, and I, I don't like saying that about Ronnie Dyla because he did have success at the club, but a lot of people look back on his time as not the most successful period. When these guys brought in their own players and the players that they know and trusted, these were the ones that went on to do really, really well. And then there was ones that were sort of thrown upon them that were part of the scouting system that um, maybe the, the managers hadn't seen before. I was talking so. Tony Evan, Wacaso, and, you know, players that y y you do question. And yeah. even Kazim Richards and, um, you know, it goes on. And y you do ask yourself, is this a player that's going to fit Ronnie's strategy? Exactly. Is it going to even, is he going to buy into his philosophy? Exactly. You look at the successes that Ronnie Dyla brought in and it's guys like Stefan Johansson or Christopher Ayer. Yeah. Guys that he, he knew from that market. And what we're seeing now is Ange has been able to trust his market as well. And the players that he's brought in have came in and hit the ground running. It was the same when Brendan Rodgers came in. There's a Brendan Rodgers claxon only 17 and a half minutes today. Um, but guys like Scott Sinclair, someone mm -hmm. who a lot of people had said his time was up, he wasn't playing great football and he had a career revitalisation up at Celtic because Brendan Rodgers trusted him and knew exactly what he could get out of him. And when you've got a new manager coming into the team, they are going to bring their own players and we have to trust them to bring their own players. Having Ange Postacoglu's part, well I say his part, he was basically the lead of our recruitment process this summer. To me, he's identified the players that he wanted and see the ones that he did want, they're the ones that have come in and hit the ground running because he understood what it was to bring them to Celtic and he understood what he could bring to the team mm. and they're playing to his or their strengths 
because that's how I'm just set the team up. Well, really? I mean, guys like Maeda. Now, if you put Maeda in any other Celtic team of the past, he would stick out because he's not someone that plays the way Celtic would play before. Three players, Colin. Three players I'm going to mention here who I am sure are good football players, international level footballers. And it was clear that they didn't fit the Celtic team, the way that the manager was playing. And the three players I'm going to use from last season, John Joe Kenny, Shane Duffy and Diego Luxall. So these three players, undoubtedly people might argue about John Joe Kenny, these three players have been brought in almost like square pegs and round holes, right? And I think now what we've got with Ange is he isn't buying any old player no. through a process of um, maybe using preferred agents, for example. Uh, or, you know, that that has been suggested. And I think that if you've got a philosophy and a style of play and a, and a structure and a shape to a team, and then you bring someone in who's undoubtedly a very, very talented footballer like Laxalt, right? But he doesn't fit that. He's going to look completely out of place, and he did. But we've not really had that with Ange Postacoglu's signings no. because he's specifically identifying not just the, the talent of the, of the man, but also the characteristics and the personality that he wants within his dressing room. And that is why I think, and we'll talk about the Mark Lowell appointment, that's why I think that's a key indicator that when we approach the Champions League next season, we'll be doing it in a completely different way. But I think it's, tell me if you agree with this, Colin, before I bring some of the comments in, it's now, we're now in a, sta- a stage where Ian Bank here or whoever is going to be the, the chairman of Celtic can't turn around and, says, and say we cannot compete in Europe. They can't say it now because that's been proven otherwise last night. No, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think you've got to take a look at the landscape. There's now three um, European competitions now um, with the introduction of the, the Conference League. That should be brought in as an encouragement to Scottish teams to try and um, get to the latter stages of that competition. I mean, you take a look at it, and I mean, Roma made the final. I can't remember who they're up against, um, but there is obviously some good teams in all three competitions. There isn't so much a sort of Mickey Mouse competition in Europe anymore. Yeah, you're going to have the smaller teams from the smaller nations in there, but when it gets down to the, the sort of nitty gritty in the late stages of it, it's always the big teams from the big leagues. And if you can get to that stage and you can compete in there, then that's a sign of progression. And at the minute, we keep looking at it and we go, well, next season, what would be a massive achievement? A massive achievement for us would be getting to the last 16 of the Champions League. But how much of that is progression as opposed to making a semi-final of a Europa League or a, a final of a Conference League? I think it's hard to distinguish between the three, but progress in the Champions League is your is your key. That's your priority, isn't it? And I think that um, if you progress out of the groups, then it's absolutely massive. I'm not taking away from reaching a Europa League or Conference League final because we'll see where we are next season. We'll see where we'll level out next season, Colin. Um, it's been difficult. And I've said again many times on the on the show, it was, it was a season too soon for Ange in terms of Europe. Yet, we still had some signs during the campaign that we might be able to to uh, get results away from home and compete with some of these teams. Now, I'm bringing this up because you mentioned it. Um, Cluj, one thing I would like to say here is there's been huge amounts of revisionism on Craig Gordon. Huge amounts of revisionism on that because he played that night Mm. over in Cluj. And I remember coming away uh, from the game uh, and discussing the game back to the hotel and in the, the foyer and all the rest of it. Craig Gordon was finished at Celtic. At that point, he he was one of the guys that was drafted in, like Sinclair, by the way, because remember he wasn't playing. He was uh, Lee Griffiths wasn't playing. Uh, Dembele makes his European debut that night as a sixteen-year-old. Scott Robertson, I think, was eighteen. He played. Yep. Um, Olivier and Cham had been out the picture. He played. Craig Gordon was not at that point someone that you would have kept at Celtic, and that was the discussion, and that was the discussion for the rest of his trip. You know, if, if Craig Gordon was, was released at that point, at the end of that season, no one's arguing. But because Craig Gordon's let go and we bring in Barkas and he's, and he's an unmitigated disaster, all of a sudden there's a revisionism going on and Craig Gordon should have been kept, etc., etc. So I'm not, too, I'm not too sure of that. And I know he's had a great season this year, Colin, but I just think it's easy with hindsight to say, oh, we should have kept him. Because at the time, you know, of that Cluj game, 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I was looking at him thinking, there's no way he's a Celtic goalkeeper because he was dreadful yeah. that night. And he was he was definitely the second choice under Foster. And I know that uh, had the timing been different with regards to Foster's deal, he'd agreed to come, it didn't happen, we would have kept Gordon. We would have kept him and he would have started the season, I'm sure, as a number one. But in saying that, we were also trying to sign Joe Hart when we got Barkas. We've, mm. sin- we've since found out. So yeah, a wee bit of revisionism on the Craig Gordon front, not by yourself. With regards to someone I spoke to during the week and we're talking about Claxons, and I get this in the comments all the time, here comes the name drop, Claxon, Paul Lambert. And we met up with Paul and the interview, quite a short interview because he actually had, he gave us some of his time, which was really appreciated and he had uh, journalists waiting on him. Um, by off camera, I asked him uh, with his experience of German football, etc., I, I asked him if he fancied um, Rangers' chances he, he progress, and he said no. Uh, because what would have happened is, you know, at, at Ibrox it would have been played completely differently. They didn't fancy their chances at all. And I wasn't so sure. Because what we have seen, like you were saying there, is probably three seasons of progression mm-hmm. on a European level. Um, and they've managed that game and they've got through. And, they, and another big thing, and, and I don't know if this is controversial or not, but see, during Celtic's nine in a row, I was concentrating on Celtic, Colin, right? I wanted to speak about Celtic. And during that, that nine-in-a-row period, uh, Axon was born. So almost five years ago, 2017. And I'm focusing on Celtic. But I know that there's a huge amount of, and I'm not saying fellow podcasters or broadcasters, who speak a lot about Rangers and speak a lot about the finances of Rangers and focus on that. And I think that it, we've yet to see how this will affect the finances of the club. But I think it's time for Celtic fans to say, you know what, regardless of what's happened before, this team playing out at Ibrox, it looks as though they're here to stay. However they got to this point, right, this European run, and and dare I say, even if they win it, and I don't know if that's possible, they're one of two teams who might win it, the finances are going to level out there, Colin. So however they got to this point, this is massive for that club. And I just think Celtic fans now should say, well, you know what, they probably are here to stay and we should focus on Celtic and what we want to achieve in European football. What's your thoughts on that? Because it's not something we talk about a great deal on a Celtic state of mind, but it is relevant to our own European aspirations. It is, a, it is an indication of what can be done with um, a bit of smart investment. Um, and I think when you look at the last couple of seasons, we spoke about the investment before, it's not really worked. There's been potentially times where you look at it and you go, if we'd just spent a wee bit here and there, maybe we could have made it into the Champions League. We had that these opportunities with And the, at the right time as well, Colin. Yeah. Spending the money at the right time. Yeah. Instead of this sort of waiting until, oh, we'll see if we make the Champions League and potentially spend that extra wee bit of money. That's what I said the other day. One of the, the kind of things that I'm interested about this summer is um, once you get the sort of league wrapped up. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Is now you've got that windfall um, that you you know is guaranteed to come in, what is going to be the excuse? There can't be one. There can't be this, let's just wait and see if we make the group stages before we go and spend the money, before you bring in the big name on loan or you go and bring the, the Champions League quality players. You don't need to wait on that. You've got that from, hopefully, um, three o'clock tomorrow. Yeah. So I, I want to see the players coming in, and I think there is already movement being made on the likes of um, Jota and Cameron Carter-Vickers, who are players who will help us in the Champions League next season. But for me, from the minute that the full-time whistle goes against Motherwell next Saturday, it'll be a case of 
right, that's the league done. Let's focus on the, the transfer window. And I would love to be in the position where you get to the stage that the January, sorry, not the January transfer window, the summer transfer window opens on the 30th of May and Celtic already have three, four, five players already lined up to come in, very similar to what we did in January when we brought the Japanese players in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that will be a massive change in our approach, Colin. It's the timing of bringing the players in, making sure that they're bedded in. As you say, there's no excuse this mm-hmm. time round. And I think that when you look at not just the Champions League money, um, but you also look at some of the players that we're going to be offloading, and not just the wages coming off the wage bill, but you know the nominal fees over uh, you know five or six players accumulated could uh, result in a in, in one decent signing. And also, we have a number of players who either sell on um, or add-ons. We we can make a lot of money from mm-hmm. you know from everyone from Kieran Tierney to Ryan Christie, um, Ayer, Eduard Frimpong. We could still be and, and not not forgetting Dembele. We've still mm-hmm. got a sell on for uh, Musa Dembele. So, in terms of the money, there's no excuse here. And I think that in the past, what what that comment by Ian Bank here said to me was he was basically confirming this is a lack of ambition. It's not a lack of money; it's a lack of ambition. And I think that that for me was an alarm bell. And Ange Postecoglou doesn't share that lack of ambition. But when you look at it, right? So, say for example, the board. If the board are only interested in potentially their own bonuses or whatever, right? And I'm not saying that's the case. The the thing that will benefit them most is the turnover at Celtic. Now, the last the only time in Celtic's history where they've made over a hundred million pounds in turnover was when they made the Champions League under Brendan Rodgers. Now, that is potentially possible for Celtic this season and next season because of the way the coefficient is at the moment. Scottish teams should get a direct entry into the Champions League group stage for the next two seasons at the very least and obviously as the season develops we'll take a look at that and obviously the infrastructure changes in the Champions League will come into effect as well but if you look at that, that's potentially £80 million up for grabs over the next two seasons that is an investment opportunity that will see Celtic hit record turnover will put the share price through the roof Mm-hmm. It will make the interest in the club even greater. You'll see commercial partnerships increase. All this that the Celtic board would absolutely bite your hand off for right now. And all it's going to take is a small bit of investment in the summer. So whether it be that there's £40 million comes in from the Champions League and you spend half of that to guarantee that you can go on and win the league and then take the Champions League the following season as well. It's all about investing in the future of the club. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm just looking through some of the comments here and I am keen to get as many of you involved in the chat as possible because Colin and I have uh, been going on for half an hour. So here we go. Patrick James Simpson. Good evening, everyone. Good to be here. We're delighted that you're joining us on this Friday night. Um, We have Paddy Lavery. Paddy, just to let you know, it's on its way. You know... Uh, what I'm referring to, dull and dreary. What he's talking about is not the show, not <laughs> the personalities, but the weather um, uh, in Belfast. So that that is the weather he's referring to, I'm sure. Uh, and he loves Paddy, loves a, a Friday night axiom with a couple of beers. Um, we're getting that quite a lot, Colin. People are mm. cracking open a few beers and this and that. Uh, we're obviously not able to at this stage. You uh, and Boy Martin, who will be part of the team tomorrow uh, at Axom. Headquarters here in Dalkey Fully focused on tomorrow's game Let's go and blow hearts away And win this league And be champions again Absolutely agree with that uh, The sun is shining apparently Where you and boy is Which sounds great Daniel F Daniel Sorry Not Daniel Daniel Evening Dying to get this game played tomorrow Yeah I will be looking forward to it Nice early kickoff, 12 o'clock We Jimmy Are you listening on the transistor radio? Good evening guys After a long hard week at the graft it's nice to get home. A few cold beers. There's the beers again. And I listen to this. Brilliant. Delighted that you're able to join us. And Scott, big hail hail to you as well. Keep the comments coming in. Um, anything you want to discuss, anything you want to ask Colin or I, and you've been too shy to ask until now, ask us a question and we will respond. Now, there was a wee bit of a 
triggering uh, last week or this week, Colin, at the beginning of the week when I, I spoke about my views on the, the Rangers game, the aftermath of the Rangers game, it seemed to trigger a, a wee bit of reaction because I'd basically said that it's simply delaying the title party for a week. And I didn't think that was being uh, arrogant. It was just, you know, we could go into that game and afford a draw and we move on to the, the following game, which is tomorrow, of course. Um, what did you make of the aftermath of the Rangers draw at Celtic Park? I've got to admit, I was very disappointed walking away from the stadium. I know, obviously, a draw was basically all that we need, but, I mean, I was watching that last 20, 25 minutes through my fingers. It was a difficult watch. Um, when, obviously, Sakala hits the post, I was just waiting on the second one to go in, and... It was a difficult watch. I mean, for for me, Celtic could have had the game dead and buried. And then we, we hit this sort of patch again, which I thought we'd managed to go over. But in the sort of 60th minute, we just tired out. And then we brought the three subs on. It sort of slowed the game down. Didn't play into our, um, didn't play into our system. And we didn't really create a lot from that point on. Um, so, yeah, it was just a case of maybe a bit of relief of getting away with a point on Sunday um, and then knowing that we've got a week's rest before this game uh, to tomorrow. But, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't overly delighted walking away. I just, it felt more like a defeat than a, a sort of picking up a point. And that's probably because we were pretty dominant in that first spell. And if he'd have gave me the, the chance to blow the whistle for full time at halftime, I'd have absolutely took it because there was just that wee feeling that these chances were going to come back and bite us a bit like it did in the semi-final. Mm. Well, the, the way that I kind of view these games now, Colin, is slightly different in that we need to discuss them as soon as the full-time whistle blows. And you need to have something to discuss. So you take notes. As sad as that sounds, that's what we do when you're covering the game. And I think that my lack of disappointment as such or the feeling that we'd been battered, I didn't have the same thing. I know that yeah, from 67 minutes, Rangers got back on top of the game. I get that. But that was only 33 minutes of the game. It's a long 33 minutes when you're in the stadium. 23, 23, sorry. But then after that... minutes when you're in the stadium. Yeah, but I just felt, Colin, that it was... You know, people were focusing on the last 23 minutes rather than the fact that in that first half, we created some great chances. In fact, in the second half, my either second chance came in the second half. I think we made the substitutions, it got us back on top, gave us a bit of momentum, then we lost the goal. So my concern was the fact that we seem to be rattled after losing the goal again, because that happened at Hamden. I think one one of the things you've got to look at, Paul, and if you look at our forward line and our, our team in general, we waste so many chances. We could have scored about 200 goals this season. Agreed, yep. And I think if Alan Morrison was to pull the stats together and what our expected goals were compared to what we have scored this season, it would be well below it. We get some really, really good chances. We get ourselves into some really good positions and we don't take advantage of them. Now, whether that's from the amount of games that we've played and down to tiredness and you look at the um, the fact that we've had to basically go with the same sort of 15-16 for the last, I don't know, 15-20 games... We are kind of grinding out the results, but you're just sitting going, I mean, you take some of these chances and it would be far more comfortable than what it is. And we, There's going to be certain games like Sunday where you're not going to get as many chances as what you do against, for example, say, a St Johnston where you're seven, you win 7-0 and it could have easily been 10-12 that day and you can afford to sort of miss those chances. But when you've only got maybe four or five and you've only put one away, there's every chance that it's going to come back and bite you. Yeah, but again, I think we've uh, we've brought that up during the games, haven't we? I remember early in the season, Tony talking about Kyogo, and um, he was scoring goals, and he said he should be scoring more. And it was right, he was missing a lot of chances, and I think we have been guilty of that. And it's about being clinical, Colin, in the games that matter. In your games against Rangers, you've got to be more clinical. And I think, you know, when I look at that that last performance there, your home and host of Jota or Maeda scored one of their chances. The previous game at Hamden, it's Car- Carter Vickers hits the bar. And the whole complexion of the game is completely different. So it's just about having that clinical edge. That'll come. This is a team that's been thrown together and incredibly has managed to put us on the cusp of a double. 
yeah. and Angie's first season. So I'm not going to be overcritical. These are just tweaks that I'm sure will, will come with time and with a few new additions to the squad as well. Patrick James Simpson, you're commenting on YouTube. Anyone else who's on YouTube, do us a, a wee favour and subscribe to the channel. Also give us the big thumbs up and click the notifications bell as well. When you think the dominant Celtic have had in recent years, European matches have been poor. I think that's right. I just think that um, we have been so focused on the domestic dominance, which, by the way, in the words of Bill Shankly, that's your bread and butter. You need that. Absolutely. That's why I'm not buying that I'd rather be in Rangers' position than Celtic's position this season. No buying it. You've got to win the league. It's always the league. That's your priority. And Europe, you've then got to work on. So I'm sorry, and it's no sour grapes and everything else. I've already been speaking about the achievement of reaching a European final for a Scottish club and the fact that if anyone can do it, then Celtics have to follow suit and Celtics have to have the same kind of ambitions. I I think when you look at it, it's another 20 games in Europe that you've got to play and you've got to at least be competitive and win to get into that Champions League Um, in the same way that you've got to do another 38-game season. Plus, you've got two other competitions that you've got to be involved in. If you can focus on the league and the league is your focus from the start of the season, then you can play 30-odd games and get into Europe for the following year. The way that they've done it, which has obviously been successful for them this year, and it's not confirmed yet because they've still got one more to go, is they've had to play 60, 70-odd games just to get in that position as well because mm. the league forum since the turn of the year has been not up to the standard that it was in the first half, and that's why we've managed to pull away. Absolutely. Patrick McLaughlin, since I started going to the games in '87. A kindred spirit here because that's when I started going. We have only had a good period between 2001 and 2007 in Europe. But apart from that, the rest of it has been atrocious at times. Well, had you asked me recently, last season, maybe this season, if Celtic would would get into a European final again in my lifetime, Colin, my view on that would have been not whilst we're playing in Scotland. Not whilst we're playing our domestic football in Scotland. I thought that the modern game had created such a gap between what Scottish teams could do in Europe and what all the big elite leagues are able to do that I didn't think it was possible. But what didn't help that was the fact that the guys in charge of the club, Ian Bankier, didn't think it was possible. So that didn't help, Colin, because if they don't believe it, then why are they going to plan for it? If they don't think it's possible, why are they going to put things in place to make it possible, right? So so that, it's also that for me... A, a mindset thing there as well, yep. where if they see it and they see it enough, then it gets into the fans' sort of brains where they go, right, maybe we can't do it. Then if the board don't believe we can do it, then we can't do it. No, that's right. And what's happened this season is, is twofold. We've seen a Scottish team getting into the a European final and we've heard time and time again that Ange Postacoglu has ambitions to progress in Europe. So that's good enough for me. I think, yeah, we can do it and there's no excuses. And if the chairman can't, th- doesn't think we can do it, he shouldn't be the chairman. And that, that's the bottom line as far as I'm concerned. Les Watts, I grew up thinking Celtic were always competitive in Europe. They had a certain mentality. That's what it's talking about, Colin. Mm-hmm. That's what you've mentioned, the state of mind, the mindset. Is there something in that? I think it is. Absolutely, there, there definitely is. Because you build cultures uh, in any workplace, but at a football club. And if your culture is that you're competing at that level, anybody that comes in has to buy into that. And I don't think we've had that culture. I think there's been a fear at times. There's been a situation in many, many occasions in recent times where we've simply not been prepared, well enough prepared, um, in terms of the squad, the recruitment, to go into these European games and get a result. Even this season, this season qualifying for the Champions League wasn't impossible. When you look at the, the, the ties we had, if you had that same team that we, we would play tomorrow, that we play last Saturday, sorry, last Sunday, who had came up in the qualifiers that we had this year, it wouldn't have been impossible for Celtic to get into the Champions League group stage this year. But it's all about having that lack of preparation, that lack of forward planning, where mm-hmm. this season, and it, it's no dig on these players, but you go away in Europe and you're coming up against guys, uh, and your centre-half is Dane Murray. And it's Stephen Welsh. Uh, that's a lack of forward planning, and it was done time and time and time again at Celtic, where guys like Owen O'Connell would end up at centre half alongside Neil Beaton. Yep. 
it's just a lack of forward planning. Whereas you look at if you had to come through those qualifiers now with the team that you've got, it's a far more settled team. Mm-hmm. But why were we never in that position? That is something that has to be asked. It's on the to, board. That's yeah, on the it board. Has, it has to be. Yeah. It has to be the fact that when did we ever have a January transfer window that you could turn around and say, we have actually strengthened that squad when you look ahead to the, the following season? Colin, we, start, we started relying term. on loan deals. Yeah, short that was term. It. it was short termism. Yep. Especially in Rogers last season, there was four, three or four loan deals that came in. And you knew there was never going to be the point where it came to the summer and you would sign all three or four of them. There was never an option to buy. It was just a case of... And what through. a waste of money. Charlie yeah. Masonda, Timo Weir, you know, uh, Ollie, Ollie Buck, Jeremy Tolian, John Joe Kenny. It goes on and on and on. Shane Duffy, Diego Laxalt. It, it continues. And it's a plethora of wasted earnings. Um, and guys that had they been signed permanently and that there was more of a long-term plan, perhaps it would have worked. But very, um, very few and far between did we have a success using that model. No. Uh, and it was all about just getting us over the line for that, that domestic campaign. Uh, Joe Porter, welcome back to the show, Joe. We simply must do better in Europe. We have everything to be a real force. We just have to action the ambitions. And now the, the ambitions of the fans and the ambitions of the manager are one thing. What's the, the ambitions of the chairman and the Celtic board, Colin? That, that is, for me, something that's never, ever really been answered. Uh, it would be interesting to ask that question. Francie W, welcome back to the show, Francie. Good evening, Paul and Colin. Let's batter hearts tomorrow. Let's have a wee chat about hearts tomorrow because we're about three quarters of the way through the, the broadcast, Colin, and we've not really spoken about tomorrow. Nope. So you said that you're uh, you're having doubts about your lineup. Let's have a run through that and have a look at some of the, the dilemmas that you're having of the started of the starting rather eleven. Um, I'd say for me Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. The, the positions I'm sort of looking at that I'm not 100% certain of is the centre of the park, um, who would be the midfield three, and also who's going to lead the line. Um, because I think, uh, as much as I thought Kyogo had a, a very good game, um, as, as good as he, he could have done on Sunday, I just think they were lacking someone up front and I, I wonder whether it's time to maybe go with two up front and to try it. We've not done it since St Johnston away, um, away back in December. With the midfield that we've got at the minute, Hitati for me looked as if he was knackered after 15 minutes and we've already seen the, the stuff he's came out with before and we know he's basically playing through the pain barrier to, to get us to the, the league title. Um, this heart side that we're coming up against on Saturday they're unbeaten in 10 but they do have their own weaknesses, they're, they're missing some key players in midfield, they're missing uh, guys like Craig Halkett at centre half uh, who was stretched off in the, the, semi, the Scottish Cup semi-final you're just thinking that potentially this is the time where you can experiment with a couple of things that if you do play two up top and it's not working you can always bring guys like David Turnbull on later on in the game to to get it back to just the one up top. So, especially at home, with a full house, with everybody desperate for the victory, I think we've got to go all guns blazing, get an early goal, and try and kind of kill the game as early as possible. And I think the best way to do that is potentially going with two up top. Two up top? Yeah. Do you think he will? I don't think he will. But for me, if it was me, that's what the formation I would go with tomorrow. I just think Hearts are sort of we've obviously got the, the goalkeeper that's going to be um, trying his, his absolute hardest tomorrow 
because he always has done. But I look around the rest of that Hearts team, uh, especially the team that lined up against Ross County, and you're, think, you're thinking there isn't that many defensive options that they've got. And if you can keep their best players, which is their attackers on the back foot, you nullify them and we can play the game to our advantage. And I, I just think you, you play the two up top, Jackamakis and Kyogo, the work is a very good partnership. And if you get service coming in from both sides, we could get this done. Let's run through the team then. I think uh, everybody in the comments, I don't speak for all of you, but uh, Joe Hart and Goals, maybe. Um, yeah. I think the back four picks itself as well. We're Alston, Taylor, Catler Vickers, and Starfelt. Will Starfelt get a goal? Aero250 thinks he will. 3 um, 1 with a Kyogo double and a Starfelt header, towering header. Let's hope so. Um, that's your defence. We move into the midfield. So I'll give you mine, you can disagree. Mm-hmm. Uh, or agree, but probably disagree. Um, the three in the midfield for me, Colin, is Callum McGregor, of course. Um, I would be starting again with Matt O'Reilly. And I think that Hatati's, there's a big question mark around Hatati. There was talk about it during the week. Should he be rested? Uh, I think he should. And the question is, who steps in for him? Is it Beaton or David Turnbull? For me, that's the two options. But you also have McCarthy, who's been on the bench, part of the squad. And the other two who are out of the picture are Idiguchi and Sorrell. So I think you could probably write those two off. So that's my midfield. What's your thoughts on the midfield? Some might disagree with O'Reilly. Um, maybe pick Rogic instead of O'Reilly. What do you think, Colin? So who did you go with, sorry, in... It's O'Reilly, McGregor, and I didn't actually tell you the third one, but yeah. it's uh, David Tumble. Thanks. I was waiting on that, though. Um, if we play three in the midfield, then that's the exact same midfield I would go with. Right. Um, I, the only problem for me is I just think I would like to see McGregor playing a wee bit further forward, and I'm not sure out of any of those two there's someone who could kind of sit in that six role and let McGregor commandeer the midfield I mean when you look at the, the Hearts team that's potentially going to be playing uh, tomorrow in the middle they're going to have someone like Peter Harren who is renowned for putting himself into to tackles and I, I don't think Hitati would be up for that at this stage of the season um, David Turnbull obviously coming back from his own injury concerns um, you look at who else they've played in there, there's guys like Ginelli and Boyce and stuff like that that kind of drop back into that role Mm. I, I think Callum McGregor's got the ability to run that whole midfield tomorrow and I don't know if I want him doing it from the sixth position. I'd like to see him a bit further forward. So that then potentially invites someone like Beaton to come into the team. Yep. But with the fact that he's not played recently, coming in from the cold, I don't know if that's the right move. So that's that putting those two into the sort of consideration, that's where I'd have went with a two in the midfield of just... McGregor and O'Reilly, two guys that are full of running, full of enthusiasm and can go box to box and get the service out to the wide players to get the ball in. Interesting, Colin. Interesting. Uh, but like you say, Beaton and David Turnbull would be coming in from the cold. I've gone for David Turnbull and uh, with Beaton on the bench in case we need to shore it up in the last half hour or so. Front three for me, um, I would be playing, and I think this is a difficult a difficult one. I would I would be starting with Jota, um, Maeda, and up top, I think we start with Yakamakis. You're literally reading my my front three off the the, the sheet here. Um, it's what I went with on Thursday, and it's what I've kind of stuck with. I think Kyogo will cause them a lot of problems. As I said, you look at that back line of Hearts, and they're obviously missing Harren, so they'll go with a three tomorrow probably of Moore, Civic and Cochrane. Um, none of them are actually quite demanding um, physical figures. And I think when you look at the game that they played against Ross County, guys like Regan Charles Cook were having a, a decent game against them because they were able to get in behind. Potentially that's something that Maida can do tomorrow um, and can get some of the service in like he did for the, the goal against Rangers. I just think with the amount of chances we can potentially create, having two in the middle isn't the worst shout. And I think Giacomakis, for me, is someone who's going to bully that Hearts defence, is going to bring the rest of the players into uh, the game by holding it up and by getting in front, getting the flick on, getting the headers at the front post 
Um, he's someone who, for me, definitely has grown as the seasons went on. And even in his sort of fleeting appearances recently off the bench, has shown that willingness and desire to be playing for the team. And that's exactly what I want tomorrow. I want a, a team that goes out there from the first whistle to the last whistle, the, the whole we never stop mentality to be shown for 90 minutes tomorrow so that when the game's done, there's no doubt about what is happening in the Scottish Premier League. It's brilliant to see you buying into the marketing campaign of the club there, Colin. Uh, Wilster 92, I grew up in a blue household. Watching Martin O'Neill, however, taking on Europe is what made me a Celtic fan. I always find that interesting. I really do because... Um, there are certain fans who choose the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chaz Nuke Borden, the author, who is a big Celtic fan and who has written for Axom, the blog, and also appeared on the podcast, he discovered Celtic and chose to support Celtic. Uh, the story's brilliant, actually. Check it out on axom.net. But uh, I love hearing stories like that, Colin, because you know Celtic have been omnipresent in my life. I've never had that decision to make. The decision was made for me generations before I was even born, very much like uh, a lot of people who support the club. So thanks for sharing that. And you did it on Twitch as well. Uh, So thanks for tuning in. Red Scotland, you've updated your avatar, Red Scotland. Uh, Gordon worked wonders on a shoestring, legend. He absolutely did. Mm -hmm. Um, No doubt about that. And I think that um, there was a few, I think, would be described as marquee signings that didn't quite work out for Strachan either. Quality players, uh, you know, Gravison being an obvious one. That was the obvious one. Right. But even Massimo Donati, I think when Donati started playing a wee bit more regularly under Tony Mowbray, we've seen the signs of a player. We've seen the signs of a player um, who had a record number of caps for Italy under 21 when Celtic mm-hmm. bought him, um, who had been involved in a transfer, I think, to AC Milan that was like 12 million quid. I mean, he was a quality player. Uh, but again, going back to one of the discussion points we had earlier on, Colin, he didn't fit Strachan's team. No, when you look at that, though, and I think obviously he was a, a far more technical player than some of the, the ones that came in. But when you look at Strachan's team, one of the sort of the key roles within Strachan's team is to be a fighter and to be a leader. And when you think back to the title that was won for Tommy Burns, the, the key impact in that season was that midfield partnership of Paul Hartley and Barry Robson. Now, Yes, there was some very good technical play between the two of them, but the first thing about them was they were there to fight for the jersey. Mm-hmm. And Massimo Donati, as technical as he was, wasn't really someone who who did that, although I was a fan of um, some of the stuff that Donati did, especially his last second goal against Shakhtar Donetsk to put us through to the last 16. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I was speaking about earlier on. You're talking about you need that guile from certain players players that understand what the league's all about, or understand that ties like Saturday and Sunday are all about, and going out there and giving their all for 90 minutes for the jersey. And I'm not saying that there's players at Celtic at the minute that don't understand that, but there is certain players who have only just came to Scotland in the last six months and may not fully get into that sort of cycle for another six to 12 months yet. I mean, there's, there's certain players that can come in and hit the ground running and totally get what that game's like from the word go. Guys like Lustig, guys like Juranovic, the, there is certain players, it's, it's either part of your structure or it's something that you have to grow into. Mm-hmm. Even when you think back to the, those days, guys like Nakamura, and they took a while to get into the, the build-up of what those games were. For the first couple of games, they were sort of seen as luxury players. And it wasn't until towards the sort of latter end when Nakamura hit the, the, the goal from about 30, 40 yards, that he started to get involved in most of these games. So it's, it is important that sometimes you, you'll see maybe not the best players on the park that are the most technically gifted players on the park, but are the ones that make the difference in games like that. It's guys that will put their all in for 90 minutes, like the way that Paul Hartley and Barry Robson did. And for me, that was the reason, one of the big key catalysts to the the turnaround in our form that year was just having players that totally understood it and gave their all, left no sweat, there was no sweat left on them, it was all on the jersey. You know, the the thing with that, I've seen a lot of comments coming in after the the draw at Celtic Park there at the weekend about lacking physicality in the midfield area. Do you buy into that? I I don't know so much if it's physicality or not um, because obviously Cal McGregor's been there and done it, he's never kind of 
backs out of a tackle. Um, Hatate, I've not really seen too much of it. There was a couple instances in the, the second half. I, I can't remember who it was. There was sort of 50-50s that they backed out of. Um, for me, I would like to see a sort of midfield enforcer in a tie like that. I, I think we've kind of been we've been fortunate for quite a number of years where um, Scott Brown played that role and he was able to commit fouls and slow the game down and um, he was able to sort of work that relationship with the referees where he could commit five, six, seven, maybe eight fouls before he'd get booked. And that and that enabled us to go that if we needed someone to put a tackle in, you could say to Scott Brown, he was the guy that had to do it. And at the minute, we've not really got that. So I think it is important to have maybe someone like that for that tie. But I mean, you look across the rest of the season, we, we've been able to get through games like that where before you'd have said, well, Scott Brown was a key player. Mm. But we've been able to outplay them. But when the game is played at that level and we unfortunately have to go down to that sort of nitty-gritty level, we do perhaps miss someone like that. We've been able to get by it for this season, but it's just having that option of being able to turn to players in big games like this. And you see it in times before. There used to be when you got to a game like that or a game in Europe where you knew it was going to be nitty-gritty and someone would just come out, come in out of the blue. They maybe hadn't played for five or six weeks and they would come into this game because it was part of the game plan for that. And I don't think we've got that at the moment. So when we look at who we'd like to bring in in the summer, I would like someone like that to come in. He might not necessarily play 30, 40 games next year, but it's just having that experience in there that you can turn to him for the bigger games. You mentioned Scott Brown. There's uh, stories this week circulating that he might be in the frame for the Wraith Rovers manager's position. Uh, do you think he'll be a success as a manager, Colin? Do you think, think that would be the, the right move for him? I think if he's got any sense, he'll stay away from Wraith Rovers at the minute. Where do you think? Where do you think his kind of entry level would be in management? The Scottish Championship wouldn't be a bad shout. I just think at the minute, Rafe Rovers are still a bit of a, a a blacklisted club, and you kind of ruin your reputation by going there at the minute. Um, you take a look at what's happened um, this week with uh, Open Goal taking over Broomhill, and you see Cy Ferries went down there. They're starting to sign players from League One and League Two. There's teams like that that's coming through the Lowland Leagues and they're coming through the Highland Leagues and they're spending a lot of money. Teams like Kelty Hearts, um, Edinburgh City did it when they came through as well. There's a lot of teams with ambition, but the fact that Rafe Rovers still have a certain player on their roster would, for me, suggest that if he was offered the job, I would walk away from it. Good point, Colin Watt. Jungle Lion, I hope you enjoy your weekend, sir. Let's hope Celtic win this league tomorrow in style. Everybody deserves it. Colin, give me a prediction. You've got 15 seconds. Uh, I'm going to go with 3 0. 3 0. Who's going to score? Will we see a Starfelt um, towering header to open his account for Celtic? No, he's, he's, he's going to save it for the last day of the season. He's going I'm to save sure. it. Right, I'll be happy with 1 0. But. Uh, I'm going to go for, absolutely anything. I'm going to go for 4-0 Celtic, Yakamakis hat-trick and uh, a Craig Gordon own goal. So there you go, 4-0 Celtic. Um, thanks everybody for getting involved. That was a busy wee chat going on in the, um, in the chat group. They are coming in from all the social media channels and also from YouTube. If you agree or disagree, you can continue the chat in the comments under the video as well. If there's anything that you think we missed out, throw it in, chuck it in on the YouTube comments or on the social media channels and hopefully we can discuss it either tomorrow or during the week. We will be back at half past 11 tomorrow with Lawrence Conley and Ewan Boy Martin to discuss the Hearts game and uh, obviously the aftermath of that as well. Hopefully we will be celebrating. If you've been watching on YouTube, make sure that you subscribe. Loads of big content coming your way. I just watched the latest session that's going to be out a week on Saturday and it is magical, absolutely magical. Michael Head and the Red Elastic Band. Now, anybody who has an even passing interest in uh, music will be aware of Mick Head through his bands, The Pale Fountains, Shack or The Strands. He's now solo with the Red Elastic Band. And we went down to Liverpool and recorded a session, five acoustic tracks plus an interview, and it was magical. 
so that'll be with you a week on Saturday loads of other content coming your way as well so get subscribing free of charge and you'll be thrown into some uh, prize draws as the month progresses as well as it's a Friday night all that's left for me to say is Colin Watt thanks for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind phone companies say they offer home internet but if their internet comes from a cell phone network you should know it's just phone internet not home internet keep your home up to speed with cox cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5g home internet cox is the real home internet you're looking for Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.